0: It's good to see you. I've known your pastor for 30-plus years. He has made an indelible mark on my life. <clears throat> Rem- what's your name again? <laughs> um, um, uh, you know, I uh, came in from, uh, from the Raleigh area and um, uh, have been looking forward to this. <clears throat> Mike and I have been chatting. We've been chatting by text, and by phone call for a number of months now. And, um, and I appreciate his invitation to be here. Um, you've been looking at Luke, 11, Luke 15, which is the parable of the lost uh, sheep, lost coin, and a lost son, um, which is evangelism. That's what we're talking about, evangelism. Uh, You know, Lucy, Lucy in the um, Peanuts cartoon, Lucy tells a friend, she says, um, um, I figured out a way to convince people that my religion is right. And uh, somebody asked her, how do you do that? She says, it's easy. I I hit them over the head with my lunchbox. I don't subscribe or recommend that particular form of evangelism. In the same way that I would not recommend putting one's lips in a meat grinder, uh, it just doesn't make sense. Now, by the way, when I got to the, um, the, the Deese household, I expected um, a, a bit more hospitality, I'll have to say, Mike. Um, there, was not a, um, there was not a mint left on my pillow any night that I've been there so thus far. No one has offered me hot cocoa. They have not. In fact, when I asked Mike for the, uh, the Wi-Fi name and password, he sent it. When I entered it, it asked for my credit card. Um, <clears throat> uh, there, is a, um, there, there is underneath the sink in the guest bathroom a, a hairdryer. I have never seen a hairdryer with a 35-foot cord. You can plug it in. You can go to the front yard, and you can blow leaves with that thing. It's incredible. I, I'm telling you what, it is, it's amazing. It really is. <clears throat> when I got to the Deese the household on uh, Wednesday, um, I had a full head of hair, but that hair dryer has uprooted much of my hair. Um, the, um, now, I pastored two churches in North Carolina years ago, one immediately out of, uh, out of seminary, another one a couple years later. And as Mike has probably experienced, you've had two pastorates also, Keller, Texas, and here in Roswell. You have probably had what I have had from time to time, and that is compliments. Compliments from church members or even guests. But the compliments, <clears throat> the compliments were not as genuine as they could have been. Sometimes we might call those backhanded compliments. When I had preached a sermon one Sunday morning at uh, this church, in F- uh, Fellowship Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, one of my church members came by me and said, Tim, your sermons are like the peace of God. They pass all understanding. <laughs> uh, it took a moment for that to register. Then someone else told me, uh, a wife told me, uh, you don't know what your sermons have meant to my husband since he lost his mind um you, you know your your sermons are like water to a drowning man and then the the main one was this tim every sermon you preach is just a little bit better than the next one <laughs> did you get it did you get it they're getting worse they're getting worse um <clears throat> this is a um this is a leather-bound Bible, and uh, and uh, I asked to borrow a Bible because I didn't bring mine from North Carolina, so I picked up this one from the uh, the Deese household, and um, and I want to read you something, and he doesn't know that I'm doing this. This Bible cover was made for a man who has a very special personal relationship with our Father in heaven. I thank him every day for opening the door for me to join him in that relationship with God our Father through Jesus our Savior. Thank you, Brother Mike, for showing me the bridge of life Nothing could be more important in anyone's life, your brother in Jesus, and one of your flock. Is there anything more important than introducing people to a God? who left the splendor of heaven for the stench of a cow stall. I greet you this morning in the name of the eternal God, our heavenly Father, of of whom Jesus said is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or comprehend. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our only Savior, who bore our sins and his body on the tree. And I greet you in the name of the Holy Spirit, of whom Jesus said will guide us into all truth. In Luke 15, I trust that at this particular point, in studying that passage, that you have felt the filthy, matted wool of that lost sheep. That you have seen the dust cloud That was raised while that woman swept her house looking for a coin, and that you have smelled the stench of pigs on a son who has come home. And while that stench is there, that father threw a robe around his shoulders, placed a ring on his finger, and had a party. Because this son who was lost is now found. Now, because you've been looking at Luke 15, and because you've examined it every which way, I suspect, I'm not going to talk specifically about Luke 15. In fact, a a sermon is, is taking a passage of scripture, exegeting it, studying it, Squeezing all the truth you can out of it and then creating a sermon. So, what I'm saying this morning, this is not a sermon, this is a talk. And rather than exegeting Luke 15, I am exegeting, as I see it, I'm exegeting the Christian church as I see it at the present time. So, rather than looking at Scripture, boy, I, I believe in Scripture, I believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. But because you've looked at that, I want to look at the church, the Christian church, as I see it today. <clears throat> if we bypass people's hurts on the way to addressing their lostness, we insinuate their, their hurts are irrelevant to us, and we lose the very thing that provides us the opportunity to genuinely engage with them. Anne Lamont, in her book, Grace Eventually, writes, You'll know you've created God in your own image when it turns out your God hates all the same people you do. So what I'm going to look at are three things. Uh, Obstacles that we create, presumptions that we make, and prejudices that we cultivate. The Christian Church. We in the church, and I love the church. The church is the bride of Christ. But we in the church sometimes shoot ourselves in the foot. Charles Spurgeon was a nineteenth-century preacher. I could go on and on about Charles Spurgeon. He uh, he was having a conversation with a an affluent aristocratic lady in London one weekday, and towards the end of the conversation, he moved the conversation to the need for Christ, as he did in all conversations. And this affluent aristocratic lady said to Spurgeon, Reverend Spurgeon, I'll have you know, I've not sinned in the last three weeks. Spurgeon said, my, you must be awful proud of that. She said, indeed I am. Indeed I am. Rick Warren says, pastor of Saddleback Community Church in California, says there are two main reasons why people do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Number one, they have never met a Christian. And number two, they have met a Christian. There are obstacles of pride. There are obstacles of indifference. You know, the Bible says that uh, a contemptuous look is a um, is an abomination. Uh, I frown on frowning. We communicate more indifference, I believe, in a frown than we can in a million words. Our face communicates to people what words do not often do. Uh, let me share with you a, a, a bit of prose from uh, a mother. And she titles this, Why Can't I Tell You? She says, "My son is gay." There, I've said it, written it to be more exact, which is easier than speaking the words aloud. Why can't I tell you? I have wanted to, needed to, but the words have never have never made its way from my head to my lips. If my son were involved in drugs, I could tell you. You could pray with him. If he was incarcerated, we might accompany him on visitation day. However, he is not incarcerated. He is not into drugs. He is a loving, maturing, thoughtful young man who is financially responsible, successfully pursuing his chosen career, and dealing with the issue of same-sex attraction. Why can't I tell you? My family and friends who were, once, who were there when he was born, there when his dad died in his arms as an impressionable young man, there when he went off to college scared and alone, the reason for my silence is because I've heard your jokes, seen your raised eyebrows, and endured your stereotypical remarks and laughter toward homosexuals. Why can't I tell you? Because I don't need your judgment, your theories, your analysis, my own feelings of guilt, inadequacy, failure, reinforced by the outcries of the Christian community against homosexuals and their families are more than sufficient. What I need for you to do is to treat all people with respect that Christ shows, to understand, in this instance, that same-sex attraction is not a matter of choice. I need you to pray for my son who needs a heart change, And when I am assured of your love for him, then I can tell you. When I was 15 or 16 years of age, I was active in my church even as a teenager. When I was 15 or 16, I was in high school, and our high school was right across the street from our church. So I got a phone call one day from a leader in our church. He had called a committee meeting and um, and wanted me to attend. He had a harebrained idea. Um, I showed up for the meeting. I was the only teenager there. Everybody else was a seasoned individual. And I learned in short order what what the dilemma was. The dilemma was that after school, six or eight or nine high school students would come across from the school, trespass across the church property, to our picnic shelter at the back of the property, which had a nice shelter over it, and those six to eight or nine high school students had the audacity to sit under that shelter on those picnic tables, talk, joke, occasionally smoke a cigarette. And what was, what was the solution? What was the solution? The solution was that this committee would formulate a plan to prevent this from happening. And you wanna know what my role in that was? I was to be the stool pigeon. Since I went to that school, I was to name names. At the age of 15 or 16, I was dumber than dirt I knew something was not right about this. I did not return to any subsequent meeting. What should we have done? God provided an opportunity. I mean, he laid it right in our lap. What should have happened? What should have happened? The youth pastor, the pastor, or an associate pastor, drag a drag a, an ice box of sodas to that place, engage them in casual conversation, and little by little get to know them. It was, a, it was a divine opportunity, but this church member and the other group of members saw this as a trespassing issue. There are presumptions that we make Voltaire, the, um, the famous atheist of uh, years gone by, Voltaire said, uh, if Christians would have us believe in a redeemer, let them act redeemed. Genuine love leaps over what we believe are generational boundaries. Um, among the number of jobs that I've held is one was a, a warehouse worker And every morning when I went into the warehouse, I would speak with my three or four colleagues. One of those was Lonnie. Lonnie was in his early 30s, and he had a distinct, a very distinct speech impediment. When I went into work, I said, good morning, guys. God bless you. And when I said that, Lonnie would invariably take God's name in vain. But he didn't, but he reversed the words. He reversed the words, which made the... The, um, the which made it even more profane. He used the verb before God's name. I, I debated for some time whether he was beyond God's reach. I mean, I just thought there's no way. I had learned that his mother had died when he was young. He lived with his father. I understood that he had never been to church, maybe once or twice. One day, I sensed that God was saying, Tim, you need to share Christ with Lonnie. But God, Lonnie, uh, you, know, you know, you need to share Christ with Lonnie. So I, um, I found an opportune time and pulled him aside. And, um, and I said, uh, Lonnie, I want to share with you what Christ has done in my life. And I, I took a moment and did that. And then after I did that, I said, you know, you could invite Christ into your heart if you'd like to. I said would you like to and he nodded his head and then I said if you would pray this prayer with me if you really want so I bowed my head and I prayed a prayer and after I prayed a line he prayed a line dear God I ask you to come into my heart. Now I finished that prayer and when it was over I opened my eyes and there was a mischievous grin on his face which I misinterpreted to mean this is what I think about your God but the thing is the mischievous grin did not go away it remained the rest of the day wore on the next day I came in and then the day following I came in, and when I said, God bless you, he said, God bless you. And then one day I came in, and as I was taking care of something, doing something, he said, I dreamed about God last night. Now, because I am dumber than dirt, I didn't pay attention until a moment about an hour later, I thought, What 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 did you say? I said, Lonnie, what was it you told me? He said, I dreamed. God talked to me last night. What did God say? I'm telling you point blank. He said, I dreamed that God told me I'm going to get the devil out of you. Now, I am not here on Sunday morning to talk about demon possession. I don't understand fully what's taking place here. I do know that in biblical times, sometimes a speech impediment might be somehow connected. I don't know, but I know this, that this 30-some-year-old guy, how could he make up such a story? He didn't make it up because it was true. I had just finished I had just finished speaking at a church in Louisiana when as soon as I was done a woman that I knew to be a beautiful lady who I knew to be a lesbian began approaching me and she was angry her face was red her The veins in her neck were bulging. Her eyes were beaded. I knew why she was coming my way. She was coming my way because I had just shared about my own freedom from homosexuality. I want to make sure you hear that. I had just shared my story of freedom from homosexuality. She was coming my way. And you know what? As she was coming my way, I was debating whether I should... I should pivot and keep the pulpit in front of, between me and her, because I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, she, as she was coming this way, um, I didn't know what to do, and I was praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I, I distinctly felt like he was saying, Tim, give her direct eye contact, exude kindness, and keep your mouth shut. The last directive was the most difficult Isn't that the most difficult directive for you? Is keeping your mouth shut. She got to me and she started into a two minute tirade about her sister who believes that homosexuality is a sin. And then I kept listening. I kept looking at her, exuding kindness. And then in an instant, the anger went away, the beaded eyes went away, and tears began streaming down her cheeks. I mean, it was like a floodgate, and I reached over, touched her shoulder, and said, why are you crying? Her answer was not direct. Her answer was, I cry all the time. I pulled up two chairs, and we talked. I listened to her for about 40 minutes, uninterrupted, about sexual abuse, domestic abuse, And when she finished, I didn't have to ask her, may I say something, she was ready to listen. Now, a significant question to ask here is this. If she was hurting, then why did she initially respond in anger? It's because anger is the easiest, listen to this, anger is the easiest emotion to express when the deepest emotion felt is hurt. Anger is the easiest emotion to express when the deepest emotion felt is hurt. Stephen Covey wrote the book The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, and in that he talks about listening. He says, most people listen with the intent to respond when they should listen with the intent to understand he tells the story of having a conversation with a father whose son had gone astray. And the father told, catch this, the father told Stephen Covey, he said, I don't understand my son. He doesn't listen to a thing I say. Did, did you catch that? If you it, Not if you caught it. If you didn't catch it, I'm, I'll explain it. You're not nodding, so I'm going to assume that you, don't, you didn't get it. I don't understand my son. He doesn't listen to a thing. The way you understand someone is not by talking to them. It's listening to them. Stephen Covey says he tried to explain to the father his, his flawed thinking, and he said it took about five minutes to finally get through to him that you have to listen. You can ask questions, but you listen. I was invited a number of years ago to speak at uh, the Gay Lesbian Organization at NC State University. I uh, was invited two consecutive weeks. The first week I got there, and I took about 35, 40 minutes to share my, uh, my story. And, um, and after it was over, I had about five or six students come up to me and say, one, one guy came up to me and said, you know, you didn't say what I expected to hear. I said, what did you expect to hear? I, I thought you would be demeaning and rude and, and such. Uh, used the abomination word. I said, no, I just came to talk about what Christ did in my life. A group of us went over across the street, had coffee. We talked about other things. I, I deliberately steered the conversation uh, to other things, school interests. Hobbies, studies, things of that nature. The following week, there were almost twice as many students there. I spoke at a um, I was leading a conference at a church in Texas years ago, and as often the case, um, there were individuals there who were protesting. My speaking there I used to I used to identify these peoples as these these persons as protesters I don't do that anymore. These are simply people who have a differing opinion They had signs uh, Robert was one of those. He was holding up a big sign and um, I usually go out and casually talk with these individuals persons students and uh, I engaged him in conversation and uh, invited them to the conference that I was about to teach. No, 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 I said, you can come and be my guest. I would love for you to. No, 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 no. But during the morning break, during the morning break of the conference, um, as I was heading out to get some water, Robert was there. He was there on an aisle seat. And as I walked by, as I walked by Robert, He caught my attention, and I stooped down to his level. I didn't stand over him to talk. I stooped to his level. Now catch this. I stooped to his level, which is what God the Father did in Jesus Christ in the incarnation, where God abdicated his throne for a manger, where God relinquished his royal robes for swaddling clothes, I stooped to Robert's level and we had a splendid conversation. Now, he left somewhere around lunchtime. Was that the end of it? No. Robert found me on the internet and he found my email. And he emailed me and said. This was nothing. This was not. I I did not expect anything even remotely close. I thought that you were going to be talking about defeating the gay agenda. I thought that you were going to be demeaning, demanding. He said you were gracious. Respectful. And kind. Now. If Robert's turnaround could take place within 24 hours, what could 40 million Christians do in 24 days to turn the world around? You've heard the saying, I have found the enemy and it is us.